0: We all know the most permanent solutions come from temporary fixes. In light of this, we could all do a lot better in the way that we write our one-off or temporary applications. In this episode, we're going to discuss the best practices for writing temporary applications so that they don't cause problems for you or your development team in the event that they stick around longer than their expiration date. But before we get started,
1: Will, what's been expiring on you lately? Uh, you know, things have been pretty calm. I, um, I'm looking forward to team week uh, next week at work. That's when we work on uh, process improvements. So, doing a lot of stuff like rolling up EF migrations, fixing some of the build scripts, uh, improving our QA process, those kind of things are going to happen next week. And the whole team just like stops everything and works on process improvements for a week. And then we go back to what we were doing.
0: That's cool. We just kind of got done with something similar, though it's not explicitly process
1: improvements. Yeah, it helps a lot. I mean, just as far as, you know, like last time we had this, I fixed our Cypress testing project so that it could run on Windows and, you know, wrote all the docs and got all that. And people are using that like crazy now. So this time I'm not on, you know, those kind of projects. I'm actually on some small cleanup projects that are just, things that really irritate me personally. yeah, And then I may jump in on some other people's stuff to help in general. But yeah, it just lets us get rid of things that are just a constant you know, low-level irritation uh, to make everything smoother. So super excited about that. And everybody's pushing themselves real hard to get everything done before that week cutover starts. So it's pretty good. How about
0: you? Well, we were supposed to record the Enneagram Type 9 episode this uh, this week. But one of our uh, Aftercast members, Mike, is a nine and uh, he is on vacation. So he's not going to be on the Aftercast. And that gave me a little reprieve from having to write it. I'll be honest with you guys. The Enneagram episodes are, there are a lot of work. You would think they would be easy because like, that's what we thought going into it. Because, oh, hey, there's tons of material out here. We have a, a book and a website that we're using uh, for reference, and it's got plenty of material. The problem is it has way too much material. And it's not structured. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's structured. It's just not structured the way that we're structured. Yeah. And so we have to like, it bounces around. And like, sometimes it's just all over the place. And you, you have to go in there and organize it and filter it down to, okay, here's the core of this because with especially with the book, like it's trying to really be cover everything. So yeah, I still need to finish it up. I was working on it last night and when when we found out that uh, that he was gonna be out of town, I was like, oh, cool, I can go work on some other stuff. So needless to say, this episode is gonna be a little out of order with the rest of them. So that's fine. It'll be good. We sometimes do that. So in my life, I've been working on uh, notes for my small group that I'm leading at church this semester. Uh, It's going really well. Basically, it's pretty simple. We're going to have just a set of scriptures to read each week and then discussion questions sort of in a short answer format. Then we meet on Fridays and we'll discuss the topic with the group. And since I'm leading it and writing the material, it's kind of fun. So honestly, last night, uh, I've... Actually, written out most of it already. I just have to type it up and put it into like a, you know, workbook style format for everyone. So after after working on the enneagram stuff a little bit last night, I switched over and, and worked on that. I've almost got uh, uh, need the first three weeks finished, probably by tomorrow. So I've almost got that done. So that's going to be good. Also, been putting a lot of effort into my guitar practice, you know. Every day, getting on it for a little while, sometimes multiple times a day. If I don't have like a set time, like if it's a busy day or something, like when we record, I don't have an hour in the evening to just sit and play my guitar. So, you know, I'll spend 15 minutes here, 10 minutes there, and get the full hour over the course of the day. Been working on the songs that I'm going to play for my audition, as well as mastering bar chords. And uh, for the non-guitar players in the audience, and Will, um, I mean, he's a non-guitar player, but he's not in the audience. Uh, bar chords are when you change the key of the guitar by using your first finger as sort of a bar over the entire neck. Okay, And so, like, the, a standard tuning is to E. So if you take your finger and put a bar chord across the first fret that becomes an F and then that changes like the other chords underneath of it and so basically you can play just about anything using a bar chord just sort of where you put it on the on the neck of the guitar and I can make bar chords uh, I was just demonstrating them to, to will here on the video. And, like, you know, if you say, go go play me um, B minor, like, oh, yeah, grab the guitar, make a B minor. But where I, I struggle is transitioning from open chord to bar chords. So, like, if I'm playing just all bar chords, moving up and down the neck, great. I can do that just fine. It's that transitioning from the, the open chords where I'm using, like, three or four fingers pressing down on a string to that first finger laying across an entire like the entire neck and it just my fingers aren't there yet i haven't built that muscle memory so what i'm doing now to to practice is just going in and out of those chords saving money is hard especially when you had a, a lot of one-off
1: expenses oh man this last year ooh <laughs> Lucas Casades is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado.
0: Now guys, investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances. And that's what Lucas does with Level Up Financial Planning. He not only helps you establish a real plan, but take action to live your best life. And the compounding impact of making that better plan, that those better financial decisions will
1: easily pay for itself. Level Up also has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey so you can actually afford to get the services you need now. Lucas is also a fiduciary for his clients, which means he's not here to sell you a product, but to help guide you to a better financial situation.
0: So guys, you can catch his podcast Techie Personal Finance Boot Camp, um, where he covers financial topics you probably face and interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigate their careers. And you can also learn a lot more and find some fun free resources at his website at levelupfinancialplanning.com.
1: We've all been there. Uh, your boss tells you to write a quick and dirty script to move some data over from another system help onboard a client who has a unusual setup, or simply process some records and have something wrong with them, usually from another one-off script that someone else wrote a while back. You could just write the quick and dirty code and go on with life. However, you also know about several one-off scripts that have become semi-permanent residents of your code base. Odds are also good that these scripts have been a source of frustration and weird errors for most of the time that you've known about them. In development, we have to constantly
0: fight the temptation to treat certain parts of our code as being less worthy than the rest. These second-class citizen pieces of code are considered less important, tested less thoroughly, and are often given much less attention when it's time to refactor or clean up the code. They may include reports, testing scripts, build scripts, support tools, one-off applications, data import, export scripts, and that sort of thing. While it's easy to rationalize treating these things as less important, it can often come to bite you. Uh, due to them being used less often or less prominently, you may not be able to always give them the full attention that you would give to the flagship portions of your application. And this is especially true of one-off scripts or small short-term applications because you're told from the outset that they won't be around for very long.
1: Thankfully, there are some things you can do to make these kind of applications and scripts a more sustainable part of your development workflow for however long you end up keeping them around, which I guarantee you, by the way, that it will be longer than you think. If you do it correctly, you may even be able to salvage the script when management discovers that it really should be a permanent part of your application. Best of all, these practices can also help ensure that your one-off script or application doesn't end up being a huge maintenance burden for however long you keep it around. So guys, in this
0: episode, we'll discuss some practices that you can use to make sure that your one-off or temporary scripts don't end up being a burden to your team in the very likely event that they end up living longer than you initially expected. We'll talk about best practices that you don't exactly have to perform um, perfectly uh, that will help you create a better experience in your code.
1: And in the aftercast, we will discuss running these one-off scripts and the best practices around the implementation of them. So starting off, keep the code with the main
0: body of your application in the same source control repository. And there are
1: quite a few reasons for this. First of all, it makes the code accessible to the rest of your team, which means that they can run it while you're on vacation, if that's required, or after you leave, if that's required, Mm -hmm. or you get hit by a bus. Um, This is just a team stability issue, if nothing else.
0: Yeah, I worked with some people for a little while who had come out of the that the fiefdom era of i have my little little set of things that i do and i don't share it with anybody because if i did then they could replace me right and that's i don't like at the time i didn't know this i i thought it was like they're crazy what's going on but now i realize it's probably wasn't the person yeah, it's career planning it's what it is <laughs> not so much career planning it's the management style like it was it was their old management who led them to this because it was everyone from that era who thought that way. Yeah, and the the ones who were still around were the ones who were actually making progress, like starting to get away from that, but it wasn't a hundred percent. and we did. We had one person who had to go in for uh, surgery, and
1: nobody had access to her scripts. I worked at a company where there was a batch processing job that had to run at 10 o'clock at night. And I was supposed to check this thing and bear in mind, you know, I had a, uh, it was right after uh, I got married. So you know, there was no kid in the picture, but um, you know, you're, you're still staying up too late playing video games or watching TV or whatever. And then you got to get up in the morning and now you've got one more thing you got to do at night before you can go to bed. And, so I ended up writing a script that basically went, you know, did all the checks that I was supposed to do manually and sent me an email. If, you know, something was wrong, you know, it, it would make noise. and And that was basically it. And I didn't tell anybody about that script until about a week after I left that company. And I was like, oh, crap, I need to do something with that. Because the thing I was thinking was that if I showed that I wrote a script, to do that first of all they'd be mad that i did that on the clock even though it saved quite a bit of frustration Mm -hmm. it was always it was always there and running the other thing you know my thought process at the time was was that yeah if you automate your job away your job goes away because we were seeing that uh, in the industry especially after 2000 yeah you know after the dot-com crash that happened to a lot of people um and so those those ripple effects were still there Mm -hmm. so i i get it um but now that's not a real good idea it, it's still possibly true that you can automate yourself out of a job but the fact is is you know if you automated yourself out of a job you're probably capable of getting a better one
0: yeah I was gonna say if you if you're good enough to automate yourself out of your job then you need
1: to get a better job well or, or you you deserve to potentially right yeah. like you're able to punch above your weight so go do that Mm -hmm. But there was there was definitely a very much of a scarcity mindset there. uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense.
0: So uh, this also means that other people can review what the code did. And this can often help troubleshoot when some type of weird error occurs due to like a data modification that
1: weren't made in the main code base. They can see it and go, you know, like they look and they go, hey, a good example. This stored proc was called with some weird parameters. It's not called this way in the app. So how did the data get this way? Well, if yeah. your script is sitting there, that's in the the repo, they should be able to find it with the same tool that they found everything else. No. Uh, the other thing is, is if you're using a language with strong compile time checking, this also makes it easier to keep your code up to date with the rest of the system so that it can be used without having to change it as much right before using it. Yeah. Which is really nice provided <laughs> that yeah. you've uh, that you've exposed the code to your test suite and you know you could actually have tests around that
0: so next you need to log things at least as well as you do in the main application if not better this is because one-off applications and scripts are often run outside the main application and much of your main application instrumentation strategy, won't apply to them. So what you're using there for checking things and logging isn't going to be available for this one-off application.
1: Yeah, and that includes things like if you're doing uh, application insights and you set up workbooks, right? Those workbooks may have filters that filter down to your app, but guess what? Your temporary app isn't part of the app. Yeah. and It's just not there. Been burned by that quite a few times of late. Yeah, you know, the other thing is, is that your code isn't going to be run as frequently as the primary application, probably. Seeing that also not be true. So just a heads up. <laughs> so it's it's more likely to contain bugs, inefficiencies, and stuff like that simply because it hasn't had enough exposure to shake those out.
0: Now, in a social sense, your temporary application will be blamed for any problems that occur in the main system, if it was run recently or touches anything near the area that was broken. Logs help you to disprove this or if it was the cause, the logs help you to determine
1: what went wrong. Yeah. Or maybe even catch it and fix it before everybody knows that your app is the (laughs) one that broke it. (laughs) Uh, Which happens a lot with quick and dirty apps, right? Like, you know not to trust it because you wrote it in a hurry. So I, I will say this. Before we go on to the next point about quick and dirty
0: apps staying around longer than they should. The the place I was at before my current job, the last project I did was replacing a quick and dirty app that was literally written for one purpose only. And then it was like very, very specific purpose. And then we said, oh, hey, we need something that does this. Well, we've got this thing over here that does something similar and like, you know, we could we could make it a web app and yeah, so just like all right, and so the core of it it just kept kept getting little pieces added on as it was needed. It was never planned out and it was all based on this one-off, hey, we need to do this quick thing that's going to last for a couple of months and that's it.
1: I feel like that dynamic is probably in place in at least 50% of the development shops out there. There's that app that is like a, it's like a God class of an app Mm -hmm. that just has buttons for do random crap. Well, see, this wasn't like random stuff. It was all related
0: to the same thing, but it was just like, it was not really designed out to do that. It was just as stuff came up and, you know, kudos to them because you know, the, they recognized that and were like, all right, we're using this for stuff that it's not meant for. We need to like rebuild it. And yeah. And
1: it sounds like you had one of the better examples.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yes, yes, I, I did. <laughs> Ooh. Was it, was, it was a, you know, I think I told you guys when I when I made the move, it, it wasn't because I didn't like where I worked. I loved where I worked, but it was for uh, an opportunity for
1: advancement. And so, yeah, we had an app like that at a previous gig. And it was a single screen that had like 15 or 20 tabs. And then in the, t- the tabs, there were tabs. <laughs> and, you know, like you'd find a new section of that thing every week or so. You're like, when was this put in here? And it's like, oh, yeah, this was put there in 2003. Like crap. So the next important point is that idempotency is critical. Now, uh, if something is idempotent, that means that you can run it multiple times without it breaking anything. And you may or may not be able to actually do this, uh, depending on the situation. But realistically, you may have to run your application multiple times for any number of reasons. Uh, this means that any data changes that your application makes should not cause problems on subsequent runs. That's not real idempotency. It's like it's like spot welded idempotency. <laughs> it's important to, I guess, make that a little bit more clear. <laughs>
0: Now, you want to be aware of situations where you are updating records to set their values to their current value. Uh, If your audit trailing strategy isn't very good, and let's be honest, how many are, uh, you can end up with a lot of noise in your logs.
1: Yeah, and that's that's one of the things you got to be careful of. Um, You also have to be careful of anything that your main system might send out in response to a change. Such as notification emails, and make sure those those don't happen with your app, or that you can somehow stop them on the way out. It's just something to pay attention to. And, and the reason this is important is your app may run halfway and crash, or be stopped because it's putting the system in a you know in a strain. And it's like, hey, we can't do this right now. And you need to be aware that that's entirely possible. And build your app in such a way that it can catch up, and it it doesn't have to redo work or it doesn't screw up when that happens. Yeah, that can be really, yeah. It's interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You can you can get some fun things going on then. You're like, what in the world? Wait, why, why does the client have 2,500 emails about this? Uh, that also is fun when somebody does it as a scheduled task or does it as a cron job. Actually, cron jobs are better for this. And they don't, they get confused on the cron string. And the thing runs like 200 times overnight. Mm-hmm. I've seen that one a few times too. Um, so you just gotta you gotta assume that the worst is gonna happen. Another thing you need to do uh, is to try to include some sort of rollback uh, or roll back back mechanism. And what I mean by that is that you may have to roll back your rollback as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, you you want to have a trail of you know think think get yeah you know you want to have a history not a, you know, backup.
1: Yeah, essentially what happens here is that requirements gathering for a one-off application is very likely going to be rushed. It's going to be sparse. It's not going to have enough data. You're, you know, these are hacks and you're, you know, you're kind of pushed into doing
0: them sometimes. And you're very likely going to have to stop the process or at least attempt to undo your changes this goes back to uh, to that episode that uh, we did a few weeks back
1: about just expecting things to happen. Just expect that you're going to have to roll this back. Yeah. And when you're rolling back, unless your work is already in a single transaction, make sure that you're rolling back to a correct state before you commit. Even if you're going to do a subsequent transaction to continue. Uh, and the reason for this is that the system is probably still running while you're doing this. And so if you roll it back into an invalid state and then you try to commit that, you know, you try to commit again, you know, a a second transaction, it's in a bad state for the duration of that transaction. So you're going to get errors, you're going to get all kinds of weird stuff happen that's hard to trace. So next, you want to break your process into steps that
0: can be executed, stopped and restarted independently if it takes a while to run you will want to verify your work in smaller
1: steps just to decrease the number of things that can go wrong. Yeah, and especially in production, you're going to definitely want this because it is, it's is—it's absolutely nerve-wracking to roll something like this out and go, okay, it's going to do all this work over the next six hours, and we can't recover from it once it's done if it's wrong. Versus, okay, I'm going to do 10 minutes of stuff. All right, that looks good. Now do the next hour's worth of stuff. Uh, those kind of setups.
0: Yeah, I mean, y- you want to go incrementally with it uh, just because if it breaks at any one point and you have your rollback back,
1: yeah. you can, And you can also roll back to the step before it broke, right? Like, you don't have to roll all the way back so stuff is partially loaded but the system's not in an invalid state. That's recoverable. <laughs> Sorry, I, I when I said that, Chili's commercial popped in my head. That popped in my head when I wrote it too and I was like, "Okay, that's thanks brain. That's nice and strange." Uh
0: See, it wasn't so much the Chili's commercial as um the baby bag baby bag. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew exactly which commercial you're talking about. No, yeah, it, it wasn't the commercial, it was the uh, the Austin Powers parody of the commercial.
1: I'd have to look that one up. It's been it's been a few years. Probably just as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Another thing you'll run into on this is that if one of your steps is really demanding on system resources, you may need to run it off hours. And you're not necessarily going to know which one that is until you slam into it in production. Uh, Your development system probably does not have as many records on it or as many people accessing those records. And so your load characteristics are very different. So you have to build it with the assumption that something is going to break at some point and I need that to be the smallest thing that can possibly break and roll back to a good state until I can hit it off hours.
0: No, yeah. And if you're, if you've got it broken into smaller steps, this means that you can run some of them in advance so that you're
1: not stuck in the office after hours or stuck at home watching yeah. teams. Honestly, I feel like that's worse. Because if you're stuck in the office after hours, somebody will get you pizza in a lot of places. Whereas at home, that doesn't happen. Well,
0: yeah. I mean, I live with my dog. So, if my dog brought me
1: pizza, you'd stop working. He's yeah. training the dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be very surprised. Teach it to sing. <laughs> Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. That's a frog, that's, not a dog. That's, that's that's not a f- yeah. I mean, they rhyme, but yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: you know. <laughs> All right, guys. So. The next, the next thing here is to prefer queuing mechanisms to loop
1: and separate execution of the queue from filling the queue. Uh, transient failures are the bane of temporary applications. So you try to use structures that mitigate some of the problems. Now, you'll have transient failures in your main app too, but you have them often enough that you have already mitigated them. In yeah. a temporary app, that is far less likely. And so if you use something that inherently mitigates it, you can usually get away with things easier.
0: Now, such mechanisms make it easier to scale if you need to do so, which was likely not considered when you planned this uh, temporary application. And I say planned in
1: quotes here. Yeah, and temporary in quotes. (laughs) yeah so you may find that hey you you wrote it for a client that has you know a hundred of their clients in the system, and then all of a sudden your company you know let's say you're moving from an old system to a new system, and okay, mm-hmm. you're moving this small client over, and all of a sudden your your company lands some massive client and the new system isn't quite ready to accommodate them, and so their you know global enterprise suddenly goes in the old system. And your little (laughs) dinky app is expected to move that management probably is not going to be deeply aware of how different that is. They just think that, oh, well, we can just scale up by looping harder. Right. Because that's Mm -hmm. that's what non-technical managers think. Yeah. So if you don't build it this way from the get go, anything like that is just going to blow up in your face. Now, if you separate the thing that fills the queue from the thing that processes the queue, you can also fill the queue during business hours and then process it after hours, right? Like you just preload and stage the data and then go on. Now, your your whatever message queuing server that you have, uh, also be aware that you probably need to expand storage before you do this kind of crap. So
0: next, have an audit or simulation mode for your application. Nothing is worse than the feeling of wondering whether something will work. or Being able to simulate the work Really helps, you know. This is key with most things. You you want
1: to load test, basically. Yeah, you load test, and you, you know, you want to be able to verify that. Hey, I put in three hundred thirty seven thousand records in here. Three hundred thirty seven thousand records ought to come out the other end, or double mm-hmm. that, or whatever. And you know, yeah. before you go do something, uh, that'll also help you avoid uh, load spikes at critical times too, because you can go, okay, what is this thing actually going to do? when it really runs. This is also really important if the app ends up living longer than you expect and needs to be run again in the future because you may not be the one doing that. In fact, uh, if you follow all of our recommendations in this podcast, we hope you won't because you'll be managing those people. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Um, Now, breaking things
0: into steps can really help with this, especially when combined with the robust rollback back mechanism And or testing databases, which are very important.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it might be good to run this against a copy of production Mm -hmm. to to see what you can roughly expect before you actually do it live, just so you know what's coming. Another thing you need to do, your app should not just go out to the database and willy-nilly grab all the things and process all the things. You should allow restriction and or configuration of the data set that your app is going to be working with. So, you know, for instance, passing a client ID, do it for this client, don't do it for all the others, or do it for this set of clients.
0: You don't want to hard code things in a temporary application unless there is no possibility of ever changing them. And let's be realistic, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen hard coded values in temporary applications and one off stuff that I'm like, you know, you could have just as easily not hard-coded this like well it's only going to be run like once or twice i'm like all right you think yeah and yeah i mean that that was the case with that application i was talking about it was literally built for a very specific purpose and it had so much hard-coded stuff in there maintaining that thing was a nightmare
1: so well the other thing you'll run into is You'll you'll end up with docs that go, okay, open this app and now change this hard coded value and run it for the thing that you want to run. And invariably oh, yeah. it's it's not changed this hard coded value, it's changed these twelve hard-coded values that are scattered all over the place. And so it also gets to be a real maintenance point. And if you miss one, you've you've wrecked your data.
0: I, I have seen that. Actually, what I've what done that did... I've written code like that. What what uh what they did was if it were If it had to be like if it was a regular thing, I have literally seen a repository with multiple folders all containing the exact same code base in them, but with those hard-coded values changed. And you had to know which one to go into.
1: Uh, We've done that at work with database scripts.
0: I'm sorry. I said repository. That was not true. It was a flash drive. It's a repository. (laughs) Sorta. Of. <laughs> I mean, the code eventually went to a repository, and they put it on branches for each one. But this was very early in my career, and a very old legacy
1: application. Like, yeah, because like be- now, if they tell you to put it on the flash drive, you know what you're going to tell them to do with it's going to rhyme with repository. Uh, but that's about all you could say for that. It take you a <laughs> minute.
0: No, no, I, I got that right off the bat, but I was like, you know, I've never thought of rhyming those two words. I never th- had a need to rhyme either of those words.
1: But And there's uh, somebody going down the road like trying to rhyme in their head. Go, what rhymes with it? It's going to be that one guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so. <laughs> Basically, the idea here is to make it relatively easy to rerun the application again, later under different circumstances without code changes.
1: Yeah. Now, I will uh, add a caveat here. Sometimes you do want to copy and paste a duplicate. We do this a lot with, like, SQL scripts. Basically so that you have an audit trail of what you actually did. Because a lot of those, it's like, hey, copy it, paste it, do a little change, and it's slightly different. And so that actually is a different change control thing. Yeah. I mean, in it, it she might do are you a doing scripts or something too the same yeah. like real app but.
0: Yeah, it, it, and I would think it kind of depends on like are you is this a temporary application that's doing something or is this a script because I remember I had a set of scripts that were just very basic like here's an add a table script that I would just go in and I'd make my changes if I needed to add a table
1: I had a I had a SQL script one time It was ridiculous. It was, you could give it a table name and it would generate the C-sharp code for a uh, entity framework model, a DTO to go back and forth to the front end. It would generate the controller, the commands, like uh, mediator commands. It would generate all that with string concatenation and like barf that thing out and then I could just copy paste it into the app. and (laughs) so quick resharper magic and it was out there.
0: Yeah, you um you would do that. I, I had a tool that would do that for in hibernate when I was working with in hibernate.
1: Yeah. And
0: it was it was uh, pretty nice because you just connect it to the database and it you like this table and it would just shoot out everything you needed.
1: Yeah, of course there's always these little quirks.
0: Right? Oh yeah, um, yeah. You couldn't just flat out use it. You had to go in there and like I, I remember doing a presentation, like a lunch and learn kind of thing on it and Like, our our lead developer just being like, well, you know, you can't just like, it, it has this problem and this problem. Like, you might as well just type it all out. I'm like, all right, so I can do this and spend five minutes correcting those two things that you pointed out that I already knew about that I mentioned earlier in the talk. Or I could spend, you know, hour or two typing all this code out, like, this kind of again. repetitive code yeah. again. It's like, yeah, this this was a lot easier.
1: Yeah. A- and it's weird. Like, did you notice the maintenance points for those things were somewhat, like they were different than what we're dealing with here, right? Like, because you can get away with it because you're the only one probably running it, you know, or the people running it are devs. They're not running it on production. You know, they're doing it in an environment where you have a rollback because, You know, like, uh, you know, not committing changes and changing branches is a rollback.
0: Now, I I should say, I do highly suspect knowing that particular lead developer that she was just razzing me about it and not serious. But
1: I would not be surprised if there are people who thought that. Well, and that kind of thing is, you know, you were talking earlier about the uh, one off scripts that people have and they just kind of hang on to them and they don't. Uh, let other people into their fief. There, that sort of dynamic is why those exist too. Yeah, I know they're they're worried about thief, thieves. <laughs> thief, thieves, <them. laughs> fief thieves. Thief, thief. No, there's no honor among thieves. <laughs> thief, thief. Oh, <okay. laughs> is the plural of thief fiefs or is it thieves? Nah. Anyway, fives. It's fives. It could be. I don't know. <laughs> so it's an enneagram type. Great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, well, we went off the rails there. That's, that's fantastic. Another thing that is a really good idea to do, if you can, is to actually allow your tool to be invoked from within your application. Make it a part of your app for the duration of its existence. Uh, so this might be as simple as an HTTP endpoint that you can call with security constraints in place, um, a Lambda, you know, something along those lines uh, to actually do this processing. and. The the reason you do that, you know, even though it doesn't really seem like it's worth the effort, is that if you allow your one off code to be run from within your application, it makes it easier for other team members to do it, including hooking something else up to it, if that's necessary. So like instead of you having to run it, maybe here in a little bit, you know, things get refined a little bit better and you have a button and your support person runs it when they onboard and you know, when they move a client from the old system to the new system. Well, this practice also gives you tighter integration with the app, meaning
0: that your code isn't forgotten during system changes and refactorings. That is very very important because I have I have also seen that happen where like stuff was moved or the other place I've seen this go terribly wrong is between environments. Yeah, when you had like environmental variables and stuff that like that changed and so it was built into the main code for, okay, get it from here and, and deal with that. But like the the little script or the, the one-off that was there didn't have that. And so it worked great in dev. You move it to test and everything fails.
1: It's a lot easier to do than you think. The other thing that this does for you is that it makes it so that your QA people, if you have some, uh, can actually you know, put automated tests around this code. Make sure that it continues to do what you think it should do. Because one thing that will happen with these, if they aren't run for six months, but they're in the main code base, people will refactor them and break them, and you won't know until you run it, basically at the last minute. And And so if you do this and you actually expose an endpoint, you expose ways of determining what the thing did when it ran, now you can actually test it in an automated fashion. Or at least they have hooks where they can do it manually with Postman. But at least it can happen.
0: Next, allow partial application of application processing results along with restarts. So that was a bit of a mouthful. Unless your one-off requires that the entire system be in maintenance mode for the duration, your code should ensure that each state change leaves the system in a valid state.
1: Right. So the idea here is that you, as you're committing things to the database, you want to avoid transiting an invalid state while you're doing that. The idea here being is that if you have a major failure, you you don't want to have to run your code at an inopportune time. Uh, So if you if you're transiting a a bad state and something blows up in the next step guess what the system's in an invalid state until you can fix whatever that is versus it being in a known good state at all times and you know there's there's database primitives to help with this right like that's why we have transactions it's specifically for these kind of things
0: one thing that can help with this is the use of staging tables to arrange data before using another call to actually change the records. Separating the loading of data from the updating of data can limit the amount of time your app is in an invalid state if you can't avoid it entirely. And then, of course, using reading from views added to this, really, it it makes it a lot easier. And the nice thing about the staging tables is they don't have to be
1: exactly one-to-one correlation with your in fact they shouldn't be probably right because they may not have all the data or you may have more that needs to go to some other table but like if you separate this and you go hey I'm gonna load this data in this table that nothing else is accessing so you're not gonna have the table getting locked while something's trying to read from it right and you just fill the thing in and then you run your apps entirely you know the the processing happens in the database server itself so there's nothing going over the wire So, you know, Comcast suddenly getting slow doesn't cause you a problem there. Although realistically, if you're doing enterprise data stuff and you're going over Comcast, you've got a whole nother problem. But, (laughs) right. Like, but having that stuff loaded, you know, preloaded and ready to go beforehand means that you can load it at a time that's opportune for loading it and you can process it at a time that's opportune for processing it. And those don't have to be the same time.
0: Yeah, assuming that you don't need it to like be in there immediately. Because I, I have worked on some applications where it's like, all right, we need this needs to be loaded, processed, and then a report all in the same transaction.
1: Yeah. I would typically push back on something like that. I mean, sometimes you can't get around it, you know, for any number of reasons. Uh, but a lot of times people can put up with more latency than they think they can, especially to get it right.
0: Yeah. And it it sort of depends on what you need to, because sometimes you can, you can do some stuff and be like, all right, well, this doesn't need to happen for this amount of time, so you can delay that. Well, this also helps with
1: simulation too, right? Yeah. If you load it into a staging table. Now you can query the staging table to find out what you're actually going to be changing uh, before you actually commit a change. Um, so it's, it's a really handy technique. So yes, finally,
0: have a mechanism for providing statistics when the temporary application completes. Um, And this is different from logging, right? Yeah. Uh, You should be able to tell how many records you touched, how long it took to touch them, as well as the count of any side effects. If you can't, it makes it hard to prove that your code worked. Especially if you aren't the one actually executing the code,
1: the last thing you want to do is look through an audit table to try to figure out. Okay, my app was running from one in the morning till four in the morning against the transactions table. So, how many records did I touch? That's a real bad pattern. And I've been places <laughs> where that happened. And yeah. you know, there's other stuff running, and you're like, "Well, yeah, this normally touches you know five thousand records to you know five to eight thousand records," and we touched. You know, fourteen thousand during this time. So I think, you know, we like we touched a range of this many to this many records. That's a real awkward thing, especially for anything that is critical enough that you're trying to move it between systems. Like the the data has to be valuable to want to move it. So you need to kind of have this buttoned up. It's also really important for subsequent runs. So if somebody asks how long it takes to do something or process a certain number of records, you should be able to give them an intelligent answer because that'll keep you out of trouble later. Because when you say, oh, this will only take 10 minutes to run, but you know your last run was 100 records and they need to run a half million, that hurts. <laughs> and the thing is, is you're going to remember how long the last run took and you probably aren't going to remember a record count, especially if you did it at night at two o'clock in the morning unless you wrote it down.
0: Right. Which is your own. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're doing your own stats, but yeah, you don't, you don't want to do that. You want to have that recorded for you so you don't have to worry about it. And so that you can generate reports from it that go up to management. And so management can be like, Oh, Hey, what you did is working. We're going to give you more money.
1: Yeah. Or they can, they can ignore your report, but now it's their fault. Yeah. It's really, uh, it's really the (laughs) thing you want there. (laughs) Now, it's also important to do this for rollbacks. Um, and that's something people forget. Like, if you roll back the records, you still need to say how many you touched. Because if you had a partial rollback and you screwed up somewhere and somebody has to crawl in there, they kind of want to know when they're done.
0: Yeah, it's... Oof. Partial rollbacks are just no fun in general. That's all I'm going to say about that.
1: Yeah. And, and sometimes it's really hard to not have them, right? Like, if you're deleting records, like, well, you you can't undelete without things being interesting, unless you did a soft delete or you moved it to an archive table, you know, so you can restore, which is also another really helpful pattern.
0: I was gonna, I was going to suggest the the archive table because a lot of the stuff that I I've worked on, the only time you ever deleted was if it was not a completed, like you know, because I worked with a lot of like permitting type stuff, and I was like, all right they don't complete their application, okay, you can delete that. But once it's been submitted, like officially submitted, it never gets deleted. Like it might get moved to an archive table or whatever, but it never actually gets deleted from the system.
1: And that's also important for any kind of accounting transactions, right? Those people do not like lines deleted. You can have an adjusting entry, but you don't do a delete. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's so very true. So guys, we've all had to build and run one-off applications and scripts from time to time or from hour to hour, depending on where you work. While you can tell yourself that you're only going to need the code for a single instance of a single issue, your own life experience on this will probably tell you that this assertion is generally false. Furthermore, because you're actually touching code in a production environment, you need to go to a lot more effort than you would in a development environment with data that isn't critical to the business. Finally, you also need to make sure that other people can safely run your process and that they can reason about it in the event that you aren't there to monitor it. In other words, like a temporary application is still a full-fledged application. And while you can't necessarily always treat it like it's a full-fledged application, you need to get as close as you can so that your life doesn't turn upside down because of the thing. Now, that pretty much uh, wraps us up. Beach. what do you have for us uh, this week for Tricks of the Trade? So, guys. A lot of times in
0: life, we have to do something that should only be a one-off, but ends up becoming a regular routine. This could be something like going to a particular restaurant with a friend one Sunday afternoon for lunch that ends up becoming a weekly ritual that you guys do every week. Will and I, when we were in college, randomly went to this Thai place at two o'clock in the afternoon because that's when he got off work. And hadn't eaten lunch yet. I think it was a Wednesday afternoon, wasn't it?
1: I believe that's correct. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I had I had a class at one. He got off work at two. So we would we would go there before going back home. And it was like between lunch and dinner for him. So we were the only two people in there. And when we did it, it was supposed to be just this one off, oh hey, you know, we don't have any food at home. Let's go grab some Thai food and then go. And that became a weekly routine for us for about a year and a half, almost two years.
1: Yeah. Until we they went there. under. Yeah. Yeah. We went there every single Wednesday. And I think they had like a special or something that was cheap because we were, well, they, there was a reason we, for it. They had a
0: lunch special, but at that point we became like friends with the owners.
1: Yeah. And they're bringing and all they kinds would, of stuff out of the back.
0: Yeah. They were just bringing stuff that they were planning on. They were like, would this be good on the menu? And they'd let us try it because we tried everything on the menu at that point in time. That was really good food. That's where I fell in love with Thai food. It was Yep. Same place. Now, this is especially true, guys, if you have children or nieces and nephews as they love routine and repetition. Several years ago, like right after I had left med school, just gotten divorced, I was at my parents' house. It was Christmas time. And my mom and sister were preparing the meal and just like my nieces were, were much younger, uh, like preschool ages and they were just trying to get them out of the way. So they said, Oh, well, go, go upstairs and see what your uncle BJ is doing. I was sitting in my room playing video games because you know, that's what you do. And so they, they come up and I'm like, all right, like they wanted to, they came up. I was like, "Oh, you guys want to play?" And like, "Oh, yeah," you know, because they were little kids, like really young. And so I'm looking at my my Xbox. I'm like, All right, "What games do I have that you know a three year old and a five year old can play?" <laughs> you know. And I remembered that I had gotten the downloaded the remastered version of Ducktales.
1: they It's good. It's uh, better Indiana than the Witcher series, probably for young yeah, kids. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I, I remember playing that as a kid. So I pulled it up and like they tried a little bit, but they struggled with it, but they just loved watching me play. Like it was just, it was so much fun to watch me play. And so we did that for a couple of hours and the meal was ready. We went downstairs and ate. Next year comes around Christmas time. We're all at my parents' house and my, for Christmas Eve and my niece is like, did you bring your video games? I was like, "Uh, no, but I'll bring them tomorrow morning. And we sat and they watched me play DuckTales again and that has become almost a family tradition now for the kids to watch me play DuckTales like they they play some but their big thing is watching me play that game and like i've beaten that game i don't know how many times now yeah,
1: because i of know that. i can hear the music in my head <laughs> yeah <laughs> cuz i have that game too love it it is so much fun it like it really is a fun game
0: but i was just looking for something for them to do for an hour or two while like so they wouldn't be like in the way For my mom and my sisters who are cooking. And now it's just become something that they look forward to every year. So guys, you may not think much of like these sorts of one-off activities in the moment, but they have the potential to become something that has lasting meaning. The next time you find yourself having to come up with something to do or something that you think is once and done kind of thing in your life, consider how what you are doing could become a regular occurrence. That's pretty much all I've got. You can check us out in the aftercast. We're going to talk about running your one-off applications. So we'll talk about that and some best practices around running those applications and scripts. Catch you guys next time. Stand by
1: for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Purebells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons.
0: For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast you'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons.
1: You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.